Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Growth Fundy Talks with me, David Gregory, where I speak with entrepreneurs and experts on startup business and personal growth. On this episode, I spoke with Robin Exton, the founder of Her, a social networking app for women, which was previously called Datch. As well as speaking about Datch and her story, Robin gave some great advice on getting your first users and community building, which included some ingenious thinking on how to get traction. If you'd like to find out more about Robin and her, you can find the links in the show notes. And as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me on hello at growthfunny.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, Robin. Good to have you on and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You are the founder of Her, and I'm going to describe it as an app for lesbian, bisexual, and curious women. Would that be a good way to describe it? Yeah, I think the simplest way is if you are female identified or non-binary gender identified and you are looking to meet other women, we are the product that you will use to do that. So it doesn't matter how you identify sexually, as long as you want to meet other women, we're the space where you would come for it. Okay, cool. And obviously now you're, you're based in San Francisco, you know, you started off in London. Tell me a little bit about the story, you know, where it sort of started from and, you know, also what you're doing before that to, you know, enable the idea to sort of come to life. I used to work at a brand and marketing agency. Um, and one of my clients was a really fantastic, huge dating business uh, that's based in London. And uh, we were working with them for a few years. I got really interested in the space. A friend of mine was using Grindr a lot and I thought it was just a really interesting industry. At the same time, I was using some really bad lesbian dating sites myself. And the moment the idea to start it actually came, I was uh, in the pub with one of my friends. She'd split up with her girlfriend and I was signing her up to one of the platforms that I was using. And as we were doing it, I was kind of just like, this is atrocious. Like, why has no one made something that's actually been built for women that isn't just a gay male product that's been turned pink and gone like, oh, that'll be enough. Or a straight product where I say I'm interested in women and yet I'm constantly messaged by men. And so that was when it kind of, yeah, dawned on me to try and create something that was actually built for women. So that was just over two years ago now that the idea came up. And the evolution of it has been really interesting. We've learned so much about like what works with women and what doesn't. And what really doesn't was where we started, which was it started off very similar to Grinder in the way that it worked. And we used to show you the closest you users to you. We used to show you these really simple profiles that was just someone's face, maybe a couple more face pictures. And we basically found out that that didn't, uh, it didn't make it easy for women to meet each other. So things like women don't care who's immediately next to them. For gay guys, it's great because they want to meet up within like half an hour, two hours, but probably on the same day. Whereas women rarely do that. So I don't need to know that you're right next to me. And things like having profiles that actually suit the way women look at information, how they prioritize it. We have profiles now that are like Pinterest boards that allow you to show what you're interested in and what you care about. So it's much easier to connect with women not based on their looks. So our number one introduction topic is pets. So people will always ask about cats and dogs. If you have an animal on your profile, it's like the number one opener. And it's a great easy way to start a conversation. And what we've kind of learned over time as the community has developed is creating a product for this community of women extends so much further outside of dating. We had like 30% of our users were in a relationship and still using the product. And that was like fascinating to us because it really wasn't built for that. Mm. So um, we've started to focus a lot more on 
the wider community aspect of it. Mm. And it's definitely become a lot less about dating. I think people will use it for dating, mm. but the main interaction is about the community. And so we now have within the product a feed that has events that are taking place within your local area. So London will have one, New York will have one. There'll be like six different events per week that are taking place. And then we have content that runs through and that's from key partners as well as like uh, ambassadors that we have in each city and content that we write ourselves. And it's used as a tool for women to meet each other. Okay, cool. And then, I mean, just talking about how, you know, you just got it sort of started and up and running. I mean, you look at a lot of people who have sort of app ideas and they just kind of don't know where to begin. What advice would you give to them just to get started? I always think the biggest hurdle to get over is just literally starting to actually do something. It's so easy for everyone to talk about this. The amount of times I've been told by other women that they had the idea for a lesbian app years ago. And I'm like, of course you did. We all did, but you just have to start doing it. And that's the thing that like, that's the biggest difference. Like talking about something and actually doing it is the biggest leap to make. And I think even, even when I talk to friends who are kind of wanting to start to do something, a huge hurdle I think is for people getting over the fear of making mistakes. A lot of people will be in their jobs. They'll be good at their jobs. They know how it works. And changing industry and and doing something that you probably don't know anything about um, means you have to come to terms with the fact that you're going to release stuff that isn't perfect, isn't right. It's going to break. It's going to be embarrassing. You're going to like just like make yourself cringe a lot. Mm. But getting those moments out of the way makes you realize that it's completely fine. Like the more you screw stuff up, the better you get at doing Mm. things. So getting over the hurdle of actually doing something and then the fear of doing it incorrectly means that you can kind of do a lot of stuff. I mean, I could completely identify with those, those moments where things go wrong and you, you have those really cringy moments. You're like, Oh, it's (laughs) It's, not supposed to be like this. We've released versions and no one could send messages. Like, uh, we'd made a massive bug. It, It hadn't like, We'd been testing it locally and hadn't tested it with a large scale of users, mm. and the whole thing broke. And you're like, "Oh my god!" So, uh, and you just, and you know, what? people will forget about it like a month down the line. So you just have to keep moving forwards. And I mean, in terms of um, you know starting out, you know, how did you sort of go about getting your first users? You know, so a question yeah. I often ask is getting you know your first you know one thousand users, five thousand users, ten thousand users. How how did you go about doing that? Because that's often the biggest challenge. I didn't realize it was the biggest challenge at the time. When I look back to the crap that I used to do to get users, it was, it's, and and I think the thing, I didn't have any like real cash to do it. And Mm. I think because of that, I actually got better users to start off with. But so my, like uh, how we got them was a very manual process of going to bars and clubs and events and literally just talking to people and making them sign up to it. Mm. So I did things so the range of things we did, uh, so the first thousand was, it was mainly in bars and clubs. And so I went to some big lesbian nights and we did things like I'd give a shot to someone if they downloaded the app. And I literally <laughs> went into this warehouse party with a bottle of Sambuca on one hit, a bottle of tequila on the other. Totally not legal, I don't think, to mm. be doing that, but it was a warehouse party, so I think it was okay. <laughs> and, you know, that got us like 50 users. And then we did something else at a different event and and we actually did it with the bar and you could win um, a bottle of, like, or five bottles of Pris- echo if you had it so a lot of things based on those events and then uh, to get to the next 5,000 we did I did things like we have so we have these like great opportunities with pride so pride's like one of the biggest aggregations of the LGBT community and so 
we did things at Brighton Pride and Manchester Pride where we got flyers printed and then we stapled toilet paper to them because at Pride, everyone is, has to use the port and they're disgusting and they always run out of toilet paper and there's always huge queues of girls waiting to get into the port So we handed out the flyers with the paper on while they were in the queues. Oh, and I love that. That is brilliant. It was, yeah, so we've, we've, done the, we've done the manual graft. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it takes a long time to get there. You know, that's like, it takes, it's, it's tough to get those first few people, particularly when your product pretty much is your people. Like it relies heavily on having them there. But I think the difference is you could easily, you know, drop 500 quid on a Facebook ad campaign and you'll get the users, but then it's not the same quality of user. Mm. Like the type of user you get when you can talk to them, bring them on board and, and deliver a pitch to them is so, so much better than mm. anyone that you can acquire. Well, I think you know, going through that process enables you to do that almost uh, a almost custom a, development, you know, as well. Absolutely, yeah. So you're getting absolutely. so much feedback based on the product as well, as, as well as, you know, getting a new user too. So it's invaluable on both sides. And it's great because as time goes on, like, you know, so obviously those first ones, they'd never used it. But then when we went to the Pride staff, they're, you know, like one in 20 people heard of it or used it. And then they'll tell you what they think about it. And they're like, oh, I use it. And it's, da, da, da. and they'll say something that's either not working or something that they really like about it. And it's exactly that kind of feedback that really helps just the small kind of micro pieces of information that build a picture of like what the users are saying. Mm. Obviously, you, you, you started off as, as Datch and it's kind of, yep. it's evolved now to become her. Tell me a little bit about that sort of transformation uh, and why why you did that. So Datch was what I thought was a very kind of clever name. It was it was we could get the dot com. It stood for date catch. Mm. Unfortunately, no one in America really knew how to spell it or say it. So at least in the UK, if I said Datch, someone would say, "Oh, cool, Datch." And then over here, you say Datch, mm. and they'll be like, Dutch? Detach? <laughs> and I'm like, nope, n- none of those words. And I just said Datch. <laughs> but so it just, it didn't, it didn't kind of like translate, I guess. And uh, it kind of came at a time as well. We knew that it was a lot less about dating and this, this wider need for a more social element was really important. So it felt like the right time to change it, to go with that kind of shift in the product and shift in the community and a word that kind of represented everything that we stood for and, and what this community is about. Starting off with, you know, starting off in London and then deciding to move to San Francisco, what were the kind of the the drivers of that decision making in deciding to move to San Francisco for you? And, you know, what have the sort of consequences been in terms of building out your team and your business as well? So we originally came to San Francisco. um, It'd been running in London for like eight months or so. Mm -hmm. And... uh, we came over here because I was talking at a conference and I was definitely of the very like clear mind that we had to hit product market fit before we took it to any other city. We had to just focus our attention, get it right, and then scale it later. And then I was talking at this conference. It was called Lesbians Who Tech. And I was talking at this one called Launch. And I had a chat with a friend like two days before. And I was like, we're, we're, we're pitching here, but we're not going to release it. We're just going to like do a data collect and then we'll come back to it later. And my friend was like, are you insane? Why are you not releasing it? And mm. I was like... Yeah, good. <laughs> so called the team. I was like, guys, I think we might be making a big mistake here. Should we just release it? And they were like, yeah, let's definitely do it. So we like turned it around in 24 hours, pitched mm. it on stage. And the reaction on the stage was ridiculous. It was like, uh, 
I pitched it and fair enough, it was like a theatre of lesbians. So, it's, you know, they're going to be fairly like predisposed to it. But they literally stood out of their chairs. They were like fist pumping, whooping. <laughs> and it was insane. And we got offered money on stage when we were there, like from Dave McClure, who to me at the time was like this kind of mm. guru of the tech world that existed in a different world. So it was just, it was bonkers. And then our users doubled within two weeks. They doubled mm. again in the next two weeks. It was, we had so much of a better reaction over here. And I think you know, San Francisco has a bit of a bias anyway. It's a great city to like launch products in because people want to try new stuff. Mm. But I think generally Americans want to try new products. They want to see the, like the opportunity in stuff. We found that with British people, you kind of have to prove it to them a lot first before they then want to try it. So if they've heard from like three or four people that it's good, then they'll be like, okay, fine. Like, I think I'm going to give this thing a shot. So the more press and the more attention we got in America, the better impact it had on our UK numbers as well. And I think it's probably just being like a social consumer products. So we decided to focus way more attention over here. So we launched in LA and New York. And then we we started raising money. A lot of the investors that were interested were based over here. And it's such a different conversation. It's like over here, there are so many investors and lots of angel investors. And you'll be at dinner and someone's like, yeah, I'd love to give you 50 grand. You're Mm. like great. That sounds wonderful. So that kind of started happening. And then we started hiring some more people and we did it as like a international call out, but the people that were great and right for the roles were based in San Francisco. Mm. So I think everything just almost started naturally moving towards here. Um, And that was, you know, over time you start realizing like, it's probably going to be better for the business to be based over there. Mm. So yeah, at the beginning of the year, we did the flip and made the move. Okay. Awesome. I mean, what would you say, you mentioned some of the sort of the differences already. I mean, how have you found that, you know, that transition going from London to San Francisco, just, you know, just personally, and then as a business as well? It is completely different. Like, uh, I came over here, um, things like, people in San Francisco rarely know what the hell is happening in London. And you kind of think that they're just, even like the big names, you think they'd have a clue about them, but they don't. Like, I'll talk about, I talk about things like Y Plan and TransferWise, and they're like, nope, don't know. And you're like, TransferWise is like a billion dollar (laughs) valuation business. Mm. And you don't know. And they just, they're just like, they didn't even know what bloody Tesco was. Mm. Like, it's a completely different world. And so things like your relationships, your networks, you completely have to start from scratch again. And, And the great thing is that when you have relationships in London, that can like introduce you to loads of great people over here. So you have a good head start, which is easier than when you start out in London. But it is a completely different place. It's definitely it's a much more optimistic market. Mm. So I would say in the same as the same way that the users are like the whole industry in the UK is a lot more of kind of prove it to me, show that this will work, show this will happen. And then I'm going to be on board. Whereas over here you have these conversations and everyone's on board from the outset. They're just like, Oh my God, then this could happen. Then this could happen. And I think like I'm a, this is my first startup. And so being a founder, like hearing getting that kind of feedback actually has a really great impact, I think, on people running businesses, like getting support and ideas and like positive reinforcement, I think can have a really strong impact on on building a business. On the kind of counter side to that, it's a lot of chat and not always the same amount of delivery. And uh, like, you know, there's a lot more integrity in the conversations that you have with British people. And it's, you can kind of trust a lot more what's said. Um, and over here, there's this insane hype machine that mm. is like, you know, people are raising huge amounts of money so frequently. And uh, if you get in the right hype, it will kind of change this trajectory of your business. Whereas like in the UK, it's actually, it, you know, it's based on solid data and behavior, which is probably a better way to run a business. 
just going along so far, I mean, what would you say the biggest challenges that you've had and that you've had to overcome? I feel like everything's a challenge (laughs) (laughs) at every single stage. So like uh, those, the first thousand users, that was really tough Mm. getting a team in the first place. I'm a single founder. That was really tough. Like it's really hard to find engineers that, that you can afford to pay appropriately that you can like sell a vision to, To be frank, the majority of developers are male. Like there's a, there's a great community of female engineers, but it's mainly male ones. And so I'm mainly trying to convince a guy who is never going to use our product and is in fact like told to not come near our product to be like, Hey, do you want to come work on this product? Mm. Like it was, I had to learn a lot about how to pitch it and make it, you know, sound appealing. Raising money is always hard. Like unless you are one of the great kind of darlings that's done a really great job and is getting a lot of attention that I think is maybe a bit of a different story but yeah raising money building team getting users like uh, everything (laughs) I mean on the on the on the building team side of it you know I think that's that's a really great point you know saying you know being a single founder and trying to sell that vision um you know to engineers and developers you know, what advice would you give to people who, you know, say they don't come from a technical background, but, you know, have a great vision and a great idea that they want to bring to life? What advice would you give to them in how they should pitch their idea? Yeah, it's really difficult because now, like, uh, I'm in a different position now where I'm actually part of a community. I know mm. engineers, and so it changes the challenges. But, like, uh, I, uh, my absolute advice is do not start it by yourself. Mm. Like, find co-founders find someone else to do it but that that doesn't happen immediately you can't just rock up to an event and pitch it and expect someone to be like great I want to quit my job and come do this with you or this is great for me like it takes time to build relationships and trust and find someone that you are actually going to work on it with I was just way too like hungry to build it and so I would not slow down and I kind of pushed on ahead and so if I could change it I would I would definitely like wait there is there wasn't a rush to do it that quickly um and i would wait to kind of find someone to co-found with but otherwise i would say just being as like as as genuine as possible and integrating yourself in the community is is the best way like uh, if you, the more people you know the the better a position you're in to make choices and meet people that you think will actually be great to work with and work on something that you really believe in so if you talk about it with the passion that you th- think you know the opportunity has the business has like what it will actually do then that kind of thing is contagious and it will make other people believe in you and what you're creating as well another thing i also thought about was um you know i think at an early stage you know talking about raising money a lot of the time you know particularly in london i'm not sure how different it is over there you know like you said investors and and uh, they want to see data you know solid data i mean in the case of of you know dutch you know what was dutch it must have been so difficult surely to find data that existed you do like uh you just do the best that you can yeah. like it's it's really the lgbt stats out there are mm. atrocious they'll go up and down and so you know you just have to make the case of you know we spent our time looking at what seemed like a sensible market estimate like uh, not the highest not the lowest like what was the latest stuff how had that changed over time I think the other thing you have to do is look at like similar businesses. So we've always had Grinder as this comparison point. Like mm-hmm. they've got a great market. They've got, I think they're on like 12 million users now or so. Um, really highly engaged audience. And it's not just Grinder. There's like at least 10 or 12 other gay male apps that have above 3 million users on them. And so we had this kind of analogous industry that we could compare to. It's never been done before in our sense. So we couldn't directly say this is what it will mean for the lesbian, bisexual, queer, curious community for women. But it was at least a good pointer. 
And do you have, um, I mean, just talking, you mentioned, I guess, Grindr as a, I suppose, a benchmark comparison. I mean, do you have, you know, sort of a, a mission a mission in mind or a growth goal in mind of where you want to get to? And if so, you know, what's your sort of plan to achieve that? You know, at the moment, you know, I've seen obviously rolling out city by city. Is that kind of what you plan to carry on doing in the future? And then, I guess, plans for international expansion as well outside of the yeah. US, you know, and the UK too. Yeah. So we like, a you know, the goal is for every woman that wants to meet another woman to have it in her hand. So I want it to be a lot bigger than Grindr is. But to get there, we really strongly believe in the value of building a community within the kind of like geography that you're within. So that's why we do the city by city rollout stuff. It's also like a, a really great way, I believe, to to release and to acquire users. So we have a queue system at the moment. So if you're in an area where the app is not live yet, you can pre-request it. That gives us this great list of email addresses that we can then go back to and convert when we go and release in the city. Mm. Um, so we offer like special promos and deals to like the first people that registered. And then it allows us to focus on a local city level to build relationships with the partners that are already running there in the queer community. So uh, we'll do it city by city, I think for another like six to eight cities or so. Um, then we'll release across the whole country. We'll spend a few months doing some marketing on a national level, and then it will be Canada, Australia, South Africa, then some non-English speaking markets will come next. And we haven't kind of got to that point yet. So yeah. I think for the next few months, we'll be tied up with English speaking markets. Before, you know, you also mentioned, you know, some of the, I guess, cringy moments you had, some of the mistakes you made. Can you share some of those, those mistakes and uh, what the biggest ones perhaps were? So much of it is like, it's like a continual learning. There there are some like really big, just fundamental screw ups that we did. Things like um, we'd put a really bad recovery process in for image caching. So uh, image server crashed, it then cached this like hideous template. And then we had no way to clear that from the app until someone reinstalled it. Mm. So every single image was cached in their phones as this template. You couldn't see anything. That was awful. So we had to send an email out to everyone being like, uh, if you could please delete and reinstall. That was a mistake. Those are like the kind of like the drop dead ones where you just screw something up. Then there are ones that are just like learnings. So I used to do things like I used to be quite, um, uh, I I knew that I was pitching a business that mainly these like a middle-aged male white investors would not be using or know much about as a market. And so my initial idea of a way to approach that would be to just have like massive pictures of lesbians kissing and kind of be like, this is what it is, deal with it. Mm. And that was not the right way to approach it. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that fairly quickly that I'd like lose everyone's attention for about like 10 seconds at the beginning of the presentation because they're just like, holy shit, (laughs) Like there's this great picture of like a girl snogging on the screen. And you just, you just learn, um, how to do things in a better way. Yeah. I think pitching it, not in the best way. Um, I learned about doing better testing. Yeah. I mean, obviously now you're saying, you know, it's kind of, it's, it sounds like it's almost, it's moving towards more of a community sort of site rather than just simply a straight sort of standard dating site, for example, you know, what advice would you give to anyone, you know, looking to, sort of build their product based on the back of a community? Good question. So um, for us, it's been uh, 
One of the most important things has been ours is an existing community. It's one that's already out there in the real world, which I think the best communities are built on, ones that already exist because there's a need for them. Mm-hmm. So integrating in a way that truly like uh, responds to the needs of that community in the most genuine way possible. Like, I don't think you can just like take a system, rip it and put it into a niche community. I think it has to be genuinely like adapted and crafted around the needs of it. So being able to respond to how people are using it is really important. And I think we're learning at the moment, it's, there's a near IALS booked, hooked. Mm. That whole kind of principle is, is really great for kind of social community products. So being able to have different types of interactions, like light interactions that generate notifications that loop people back into the cycle, as well as having ones that invest on a deeper level that will keep people coming back of their own accord over a long time. And I think just, yeah, really highlighting the things that bring your community together in the first place. I mean, along the along the journey as well. Would you would you say that you've you know received any wonderful advice from anyone that you that kind of stood out for you and has, has made quite a big impact? Yes, a lot. I like I rely heavily on the advice of people. Um, uh, from each good meeting that I have, I take out like a couple of pieces of advice. So uh, the most recent one that I had, which I thought was fantastic advice from one of our investors, and we were talking about building a community. So it kind of will answer the previous question as well, mm. but one of the most important parts about building any kind of community product is the onboarding. It's that kind of like the first moment and experience. So they come into the community and they feel like they're at home and that they're excited to be a part of this. Afterwards, you can reinforce it and like uh, do moments of pleasure to make it like continually exciting. But if you don't deliver in that first onboarding process, it's really hard to bring someone back in afterwards. So focus heavily on the onboarding. And then my favorite line, which... uh, I always whip out, but it's a bit of a generalist one, is don't fall in love with your product, fall in love with your customer's problem. And always try and make sure you're understanding what's going to be their biggest problem at that point in time and how you can address that. That That's great advice. Thanks for sharing that. And then, I mean, just on the sort of on the personal side now, so in terms of your personal growth, you know, is there anything that you do to develop your personal growth? So, you know, it could be reading a book a month or meditating or taking a course or learning a language is there anything uh, on that side that you do i don't i don't kind of like religiously read i'm not like a regular reader i'll read stuff mainly through links that get posted mm-hmm. and that's kind of it'll tend to be quite like problem specific like mm-hmm. if we're looking so like if we're looking at onboarding we'll read like a whole bunch of stuff around that i tend to read like the odd the kind of like the popular books that come out in the startup scene and i'll kind of hear about it a lot so i'm interested in it so the hard thing about hard things mm-hmm. zero to one hooked um at the mom test like things that are just kind of popular at the time and then i think like for me personally the thing that i used to do the most but it's i'm doing it less now i'm in san francisco but i co-organized with some friends this group called geek girl meetup and it was about getting cool women to come and talk at breakfasts to the london tech scene and uh it was really i think it was just really beneficial to have something that ran on the side it like allows you to get a bit distracted from the main problem and it makes you value both of them really nicely like geek girl was just a great community thing again but something that we all loved um and didn't expect anything huge to come from it and it allowed to then me to value what we were doing with her and the kind of opportunity of growing that of how big it could become so i think it's nice to have sides and have different things you can work on in other times i mean mentioning you mentioned a couple of books obviously that you read i mean what about startup resources or tools or is there anything that you would recommend on that side so it could be you know specific sites or, or blogs that you read you know quite a lot to get to learn I... from and get inspiration from even 
I, I read Twitter and yeah. that's really where I get most information from. Like, I think I wasn't really a very active Twitter user before. So when I started using it, it was when I was starting her and I just followed like great investors. I think investors share a lot of good content because they have more time. So they're reading it and uh, great, like uh, kind of influencers and talkers and, and they just share great, great content. So I would just curate a really good list that only follows good people um and that's the best supply of information couple more final questions if you could master one skill what would it be the thing that i'm just like really struggling with is is being amazing with product analytics like i am good to like a certain level and i can do really good basic stuff i can deep dive on specific things mm. but there are so many things that i want to know more and better about it and be able to use it more insightfully so i think that's just like a gradual progression that will you know take place over time but I, I do wish i was masterful at it and on i mean on the the analytics you know what are what are the sort of tools um that you're using we have used everything and now we mainly built our own stuff we were spending so much money on Mixpanel, like mm. a thousand over a thousand dollars a month mm. and it was insane so uh, we were like, we could hire someone for the same amount of money to probably do that a couple of weeks mm. a month with us. So we just ended up building our own platforms now. One final question. Mm-hmm. When you think of success, what or who comes to mind? They're things that within our industry and then slightly outside of it, like Grindr, Grindr's just done such a great job for the male market. Like I just think they, they're, some, they're the best example of creating a product that really addresses a customer need and gives them exactly what they want in the most efficient way. Like, uh, of course, there are things they could do better, but they really nailed something amazing. Um, so I, I love those guys. There are other products and kind of businesses that I really love that are entities like Refinery29. I think they've built a fantastic platform for women to read content and engage around. Um, and then we have sites within the lesbian community. There's this platform called Autostraddle. They've just built this beautiful, engaging, completely right for the audience type of content. And so I really love them. Great, Robin. Well, it has been a great to chat. I guess if uh, women would like to yep. download the app, um, yep. you know, where where can they do that? Yes, it's in the iOS app store. Search for her mm-hmm. and it's free to download. And you can find us on the internet, uh, weareher.com. And then Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is her social app. Awesome. And then uh, if they want to follow you, I guess they can follow you obviously on Twitter. Yeah, so I'm at Robin Exton with a Y um, on Twitter and same on Instagram. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'll put all those those links in the show notes as well anyway. Okay. But, um, yeah, in the meantime, it's, it's been great to chat and uh, it's always good to see British entrepreneurs doing well on the other side of the pond as well. So um, best of luck with it all and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon. Great. Thanks very much. Super. Cheers. Bye for now. Bye-bye.